1: For more information, visit InternationalCulinaryCenter.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more.
2: Good morning, you're listening to In The Drink on org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli, and I am here today with someone I consider uh, to both be a friend and someone who I, I look up to uh, very much, uh, someone who's pushing the boundaries of what's uh, what's possible on Long Island, uh, making really not only delicious wines, but but uh, oftentimes very thought-provoking wines, um, and trying to figure out what, what is the best, uh, most interesting uh, way of, of making wine on, on Long Island and mo- most appropriate. I think that a lot of times people kind of fall into uh, certain camps. And something I really love about you, uh, Christopher, uh, I'm here with Christopher Tracy, if you guys haven't put that together yet, is that uh, you're, you're constantly inquisitive and uh, in trying new things, um, and your, your Channing Daughters winery is, is uh, I think, pretty... Pretty spectacular. So we have the winemaker and partner, Channing Daughters Winery, Christopher Tracy, here today. Uh, welcome to In the Drink.
3: Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. Uh, it is. It is truly
2: great having you on. We're, we're proud to serve your wines at at Le Um I, I think that I think they're fascinating. I've been a fan of, of the wines for a while, and and of you personally, uh, I, just a, a super nice guy in the industry, uh, and uh, I think extremely uh, intelligent and thought provoking and. Oh, I'm so happy you're here.
3: <laughs> well, it's a it's a pleasure, and the feeling's mutual. Certainly, um, you're uh, someone we uh, enjoy having a relationship with, both personally and professionally. And your restaurants and restaurant group are, are, are leaders in the city, and you're certainly one of the leaders of the new generation of wine directors and sommeliers. And you know, we make wine out on the east end of Long Island, and we try and create something that's delicious and something that reflects where we come from, our place, and the fact that there's people like you that appreciate that and like the wines and want to buy the wines and then want to share the wines is really the ultimate, you know, it's what we're looking for.
2: All right. So when people talk about Long Island wines, um, I think that at least our guests are, are most often familiar with actually the wines of the North Fork, where there's a little bit more density of uh, of wineries, um, what separates you and what, what's unique about, about where you are in the Hamptons as opposed to, uh, North Fork?
3: Well, it's certainly true. I mean, the North Fork has, um, retained more of an agricultural, um, presence and feel, um, than the South Fork, which has, um, unfortunately, you know, so much of the farmland has disappeared into developments for, you know, Fancy homes and things like that, and I mean, there's wonderful things about that as well that um, brings to us uh, uh, a certain culture and certain clientele that helps uh, you know keep us going too. So that's 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 certainly important. But you know, I think there's more similarities um, than differences between the North mm-hmm. and the South Fork, and we at Channing Daughters are particularly lucky because we get to work with fruit from both the South Fork from our home farm uh, where we have 28 acres amongst uh, you know 100 plus planted uh, 100 plus acres and 28 planted to grapes and we also work with um grapes on the north fork and get to celebrate and work with all three AVAs or American Viticultural Areas, the Hamptons, uh, the North Fork of Long Island, and then Long Island, which is a blend um, of fruit from both forks and also serves as an appellation for the few vineyards that exist further west on the island. And that's something wonderful because we love to celebrate the specific, um, so things as general within the specificity as uh, Long Island, like our Pinot Grigio or Scuttlehole Chardonnay, where we blend fruit from both to really just give um an impression of what our terroir our climate has to offer down to things that are very specific from single vineyards and single varieties to field blends within plots within vineyards so um we're particularly lucky too because we have we have those options and we have a lot of raw materials so I feel like I have a lot of, a large vocabulary or a large palette to work with um and that's a true luxury
2: how would you articulate
3: the uh the greater terroir of long Island Uh, We are a moderate maritime climate, Um, so that that defines us. Um, You know, the the soils are loam-based soils, unbelievably well-draining soils, and don't get the credit that they're due and more complex than people um, give them credit for, you know, created by the glacier, you know, 10,000 years ago. Um, And, you know, we'll get an inch or two of rain and it can be drained and and gone, you know, within a couple of hours. I mean, granted, there might be a lake down the road somewhere, but that's incredible, you know, to see how we handle, how we handle water and water, you know, everywhere is the be all and end all of everything, whether you have it and have too much of it or whether you don't have it and all the problems and positive and pejorative things that come with water. It's, you know, it's everything. And so, you know, uh, some of our biggest challenges exist because we're a wet maritime climate and we have to deal with growing season rain and we have to deal with humidity and those are wonderful challenges and difficult but also i think create tension and expression in the wines and nothing different than somebody in champagne or bordeaux or the loire or Friuli or germany wouldn't have to deal with as well
2: and uh, talking about the uh complexity of the of the soil um it's a predominantly sandy-based soil.
3: Well, so it's, it's, it's a loam, which is—so loam is a, a combination of um, sand, um, silt, and clay. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's different classifications of the soils out there. So there's Bridgehampton loam, and there's Riverhead. There's different series of the soils, um, Riverhead um, loam and Haven series. And so the Bridgehampton is a little bit— uh, thicker top soils, uh, a little bit more water holding capacity, a little bit cooler, wetter soils than some of the um, Riverhead and Haven soils that we find um, on the North Fork. You know, something that's really awesome, and if you're interested in, in the soils and, and growing and what's happening out there is something that we're very proud of is my partner Larry Perrine, um, along with Barbara Shin of Shin Vineyards and Jim Thompson of Martha Clara and Rich Olson Harbick of... Now Bedell got together a few years ago um, as an organizing committee to found Long Island Sustainable Wine, um, Long Island Sustainable Wine Growing. You can go to lisustainablewine.org and learn more about it. But it's something we're super proud of um, because sustainability, um, both from an environmental point of view, from a social equity point of view, and from... um, in economic, a business point of view, you know, when you have those three circles and then you have the circle overlapping in the middle, that's where true sustainability lasts. And there's great information about the soils and how people are growing and what we're doing. And that's something that um, is a, an amazing development. 2012 was the first vintage where we had certified sustainable wines. Alan Connell's the third party um, um, uh, third party uh, certifier, and Cliff O'Mart, who's been so involved with um, Lodi. Uh, rules and organ live and the programs has, has even come out and almost served as a fourth party certification. So something that people can really take a hold of and, and get behind and understand what we're doing and continue to evolve and, um, you know, take this rich, beautiful place and help preserve it for, you know, our kids and their kids and the generations to come. So, and there's great information there too, too, about soils and other things. So, that's something if people want to dig into, they can go check what it out. What are
2: the greatest barriers to uh, an increased sustainability? Are they more environmental, environmental or cultural?
3: Well, I, th- I mean, it's all of those things. Like I said, I mean, you can't just, I mean, environment is so important. And, and, and you know, especially out there, we live on top of our aquifers and um, we drink that water. And so, it's, it's very important to us. Um, and soil and air and beneficial insects and, and environment is you know we all think about it so much but that's just one part of sustainability and you know if you just were to focus on that it, it, it can't continue and and so um, you know social equity being able to pay people living wages being able to give people health insurance make sure they can live a, a profitable productive life where they can support themselves and their family and that's that's huge especially in a region like where we live and especially on the South Fork too it's an expensive place to be. Um, and then also economics is a huge part of it. Mm-hmm. You have to be smart. It, you know, at the end of the day, we have bills. We have to pay them. We have to move forward. You know, it's a business as well. So um, it's when you have all three of those E's um, and you, you know, draw a circle for each and then they overlap. That's where. So I think they're equally important. And uh, so you didn't set out to be a winemaker. This is something
2: that came to you uh, as a, a passion for wine. Um, you are a, a club member for the Channing Daughters.
3: No, it's true. I mean, life's a, it's, um, a circuitous route. I mean, I was lucky. I grew up in California. My folks had a vineyard when I was a boy, so I was exposed to that. And um, we grew grapes, and um, Walter Shug made them into Pinot Noir and Riesling when he was at Joseph Phelps, and then continued to when he was at Shug. And I remember making wine as a kid in you know garbage cans with my mom and carboys, and and but you know I went to school of per, performing arts and philosophy and moved to New York originally to study you know to go to graduate theater school and started a small not for profit avant-garde movement based theater company with my wife you know back in the early 90s and but food and wine was always something that was a huge part of our lives and we were lucky enough to be exposed to that and um, drank and Wine from all over the world and love to take those journeys, you know, in your own living room through food and wine and continued to do that. And one thing led to another and I continued to study wine and eventually ended up in cooking school and cooked and went through, you know, eight programs, uh, Sommelier Society of America and the WSET stuff and just continue to. And, you know, in the mid nineties we were like, wow, there's a region in our backyard and why don't we know about it? And so Allison and I, my wife, and who's also the, now the general manager at Channing Daughters, um, decided to go out there and visit every single winery and so in the mid 90s we did that and went out there and visited every place and started drinking the wines and started collecting them and walked into Channing Daughters one day and met Larry Perrine who who is the founder and one of the true pioneers um out on the east end of Long Island a a fabulous soil scientist when I think this country's great viticulturalists unsung hero in many senses um and met him and uh one thing led to another and developed a friendship and yeah joined their wine club i still have the wine club card when it was number 16 i mean back then we were buying a lot of wine and, and members of wine clubs all over the place and um you know we became friends and started to ask questions and oh why aren't you doing this and we could do that and why don't we make this and one day because of other circumstances larry turned to me and said do you want to do that and i said yeah that'd be great so made my first two wines vino bianco uh, blend of three grapes in 01 and then four grapes in 02 and subsequently f- on and, and a wild yeast or ambient yeast or whatever you, whatever you want to call it spontaneously fermented barrel fermented chardonnay l'enfant sauvage back in 01 and sort of the rest is history wow <laughs> is
2: there uh, is there
3: a quicker route to <laughs> i don't know if someone if someone i'm sure there like... are i mean look there's all sorts of different ways and but you know life's a funny thing i feel very very lucky to be where we are, to have um, you know the Channings as partners to have Larry and um, Allison and Abel, our vineyard manager, and you know his uh, three brothers and brother in law as the full time crew and We live in a very special place and um, it 's extraordinary and the land is extraordinary, and the wines are are extraordinary and they 're delicious, and they tell a story of a unique patch on this earth and I feel Extraordinary, lucky to be part Take of that. Take this back
2: to the 2000, 2001, and you, you say to your wife, "Hey, I'm, i you know, I, I, I made some wine as a kid. I know we're doing this not-for-profit avant-garde acting thing, but I want us to move out to the East End of Long Island. And uh, I I'm not a professional winemaker, but damn it, I will be. And
3: well, yeah, it didn't. I mean, we had to back up a little more that because the theater. I mean, it was it's tough, and as anybody knows in in the theater community it's hard and especially too when you're you know sort of doing avant-garde movement-based theater, the momentary theater. And so, you know, by the mid-90s, you know, 95, 96, and we had had some good success and traveled around the world and got some commissions to do some cool things in, you know, Texas and Connecticut and at universities. But we couldn't eat that well, and we liked to eat, and we liked to drink wine. And, and so we, we started making some career changes then, and that's why I mm-hmm. went to cooking school. We started reviewing restaurants in the city as undercover eaters for uh, – uh, Hospitality Services, Inc. and Performance Review were some companies back where managers and owners would hire people to come in and do evaluations, long 10 to 20-page, you know, minute-by-minute minute evaluations of what was happening and if the garbage cans were full or if there was, you know, stuff on the mirrors in the bathroom so people could have objective reviews of restaurants and that allowed us to go out and eat. And I thought, oh, maybe I should write. Why don't I go to cooking school? I'll have some real credentials. And, you know, so it was just one thing led to another. Allison moved a lot of her... Um, producing and directing skills um, into other forms of media and was working um, on Wall Street and the NASDAQ producing shows and financial stuff. And so there were a, a lot of things that happened. And you know, we were into wine, and I knew a lot about wine and had been around wine all my life and had the confidence to be asking the questions and some of the know-how, at least from seeing, not from directly doing it, though, you know, to to just jump in. And And Larry had the Courage, and I think um, also whatever he saw something that that would work, and and he gave us that opportunity, and it has, luckily.
2: All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to be back. Uh, I'm going to ask you more about those those first couple of years uh, at Channing Daughters. We'll be back with more of Christopher Tracy on In the Drink. When it rains, her neighbors are-
0: Today's music is brought by, by Four Lincolns on heritage radio network.org I get the
2: river on my head is way with old bird drown And we're back on In the Drink on org. I'm here with Christopher Tracy, uh, winemaker and partner at Channing Daughters Winery. Uh, so, Christopher, your first uh, your first vintage was uh, the Vino Bianco, you said. Uh, yeah,
3: I, cr- I created those. Those were the first two wines. That's when I was asking all those questions and saying, oh, let's do this. Why don't we make a white blend? We have Pinot Grigio. We have Sauvignon Blanc. We have Chardonnay Tokai's coming online. We had mm-hmm. planted it in 99. Um, so, yeah, I, I made those wines in 01. We were not out there full-time, so um, you know, I, and John Witherspoon, who was the winemaker before me, who became sick with Addison's disease and mm-hmm. wasn't well, and one of the reasons that things were changing in the cellar there, um, you know, had was taking care of the majority of the '01 vintage, and things happened, and then you know I wasn't there for for the whole of harvest, and but was making you know had the idea to make these wines and got them going, the wild yeast chardonnay, um, and then sep- September you know we went through, and September 11th happened, and that's really. Too, when we decided to m- make a big change and move out of the city. And um, I was working as the executive chef of a big catering company, uh, the executive sous chef of a big catering company, Robbins Wolf, even tours at that time, and um, still studying wine. And so we said, look, let's, m- let's move. Um, and so we moved out there, and um, that's when the opportunity arose. And Larry hired us, and we came on, and we moved out there in March of 2002. Um, so then I finished the wines that um, – had been begun being made by John, finished the wines that um, I made too, those two wines, and then started making the wines full-time in 2002. And
2: so so was John the big Italophile to... No,
3: not at all. I mean, that's Larry, and and then we've continued that as well. I mean, Larry was the first um, um, soil scientist hired by Cornell to start the research vineyard. Um, as part of the uh, you know Cornell um, cooperatives the Suffolk County Extension, and so lots of um, things and then we 've conti- continued to be instrumental in that program as an advisor and a board member, and worked closely with Alice Wise and Libby, who run that program now and um, there 's been tons of varietal, uh, variety trials and rootstock and you know uh, spray trials and compost tea trials and all, all sorts of different things and, and much of the um, li sustainable wine. Um, Long, Island sustainable wine growing program actually came out of that. It's actually built on the back of the ten years of the Vine Balance workbook and work that Alice and Libby had done, um, you know, f- during the entire you know decade of the of you know from two thousand two thousand two onwards. Um, so so no, it, it was it was it was Larry, and and you know there were. Channing Daughters, Walter bought the property in 79. He planted the first vineyard there in 1982. So it's one of the oldest, if not the old, oldest vineyard on the South Fork. Um, and it's primarily a Merlot vineyard, though now we've interplanted it with go and Blau-Frankish as well. Um, but then more vineyards were planted in the 90s, in the mid-90s, and the late 90s. And, you know, Tokai, Friolano, um, and Sylvanus Vineyard went in in 99. Our first vintage of it was in 2002. And we've continued you know, to plant more of those varieties. Mm-hmm so you know in our in the time that we've all been partners and larry and i and allison have been there um we've planted um you know more of those varieties more blau frankish and dornfelder and tokay and muscat and Malvasia. we've planted ribola gialla and lagrine and rufosco and um we've also planted many of those varieties on the north fork with our growing partner steve mudd so steve's one of the the mud family his father uh david and then steve working with them are some of the most important growers, if not the most important growers out there, have planted probably 50 or more percent of the acreage and still manages hundreds of acres. Not a winemaker or, or have a winery, but has the original planting in South Hold, um, the mud farm mm-hmm. um, that was planted in 74. And we take a, a bulk of that that planting, Sauvignon Blanc, Chardonnay, Mousquet Clone, Chardonnay, Merlot, and Cabernet Sauvignon. A lot of that stuff was planted in '74 on its old on its own roots, which is kind of cool. Um, and then we planted the Mud West Vineyard, which is further west in Halleckville in 05. And then we planted more, you know, Dornfelder and Blaufränkisch and Sauv Blanc and Muscat and Cab Franc and Petit Verdot. Um, so, Pinot Grigio, and, and, and so, no, we've just continued to. I mean, there are varieties that work in, in our region. There are varieties that work with our temperatures, work with our heat, work with our water situations, work with our soil. And, you know, I think that's the most important thing people can do as wine growers is really assess who and where and what they are and, and what their climate and terroir and, so and what, region. So, what
2: category, you to categorize these varieties, uh, early ripening
3: well, some of them, but I mean, look at Petit Verdot. That I mean, that's it's, it's a hugely late ripener. We pick it in November. I mean, that's the extraordinary thing about Long Island is is because of this moderate climate too, and we can work with all, you know all sorts of varieties. From I mean, I have red varieties that are early ripening, like Dornfelder, that comes in with Muscat and Pinot Grigio in the first or second week of September, and then we have late ripening. White and red varieties, like Rebola Gialla, which doesn't come in until the end of October, usually. I mean, it's certainly, it's hanging out there past all other whites. Now,
2: what, what is it that, it, that makes a, a grape, a suitable grape for a Long Island, and one not suitable?
3: Well, one that certainly can deal with growing season rain. Um, you know, I mean, one of the few mistakes we ever made at Channing Daughters was... Well, so is
2: that loose bunches as well, opposed
3: to tight bunches? Well, maybe, but I mean, look at Pinots. They can do great. Mm-hmm. I mean, Pinot Grigio is a fantastic variety, but yeah, thank goodness that comes in early, you know, in... Uh, early September, you know, and we've had stuff come in 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 late August, but generally first, second, you know, week of September, because then we do get more fall rains, and as a tight cluster, that's just going to, you know, create sour rot, but all sorts of, you know, potential problems. Um, But, and also Pinot Noir is extraordinarily great out there for sparkling wines. I mean, the sparkling wines coming out of the east of Long Island, I think, are fantastic. What Roman Roth and Gilles Martin and Eric Fry are doing with sparkling wines are fantastic. And so, you know, I'd, and I'd want to do a bunch with, with Pinot Noir out there. And then you're picking that stuff at an appropriate – so it, it, it depends. It depends on the style of wine that you're making, what you want to do. But certainly warm climate, you know, that are accustomed to dry, hot, or warm climates don't work. Things like Grenache, Zinfandel, Sangiovese. Um, you know, we planted Dolcetto in that mosaico block, and that just never worked. Mm-hmm. Um So eventually we took it out and replanted to a field blend of Muscat and Pinot Grigio, tokai, Sauvignon Blanc, Gewurz, um, and make a beautiful field blend from that. So what's amazing to me is how much does work on the east end of Long Island. And I think that is our true strength is the diversity, diversity of grape varieties that will work, diversity of wine styles. And that's across the spectrum of colors, uh, white, pink, What people have taken to is orange Mm -hmm. or skin fermented whites and red wines. Um, Unbelievable potential.
2: Now, you make a variety of uh, orange wines or skin fermented Mm -hmm. whites. Uh, What was the the first vintage and what was your thought process? When did you get excited about these kinds of wines?
3: 2004. Uh, Be- th- believe that's it or pretty not, it was, was, was our first vintage of Envelope and Meditacion. Um, first vintage of Ramato was 2008, and first vintage of um, Ribola was 2011. Um, and then we also used some skin fermentation in wines like Silvanus and Clones and Cuvé Tropical and Mosaic. I mean, there
2: weren't that, even that many people in Friuli who were doing skin fermented wines.
3: No, though. I mean, as you know, it's an ancient. I mean, this is, you know, skin fermented whites. Um, Fortified, aromatized wines like our new Vervinos. I mean, these things are ancient. And, and, you know, that's also, too, as a student and somebody that's interested in wine, both as a student and a teacher, always going back and looking at what wine was and how it was made. This is how wine was made for thousands of years. And also... um, as you know somebody that's obsessed with all sorts of regions around the world but northeast Italy in particular and Friuli Venezia Giulia has been a particular source of fun and um, tasty episodes and also and we'd, we'd been there a couple times you know our first big visit to Friuli was in 02 um, and then we went there again in '04, and we saw you know what these guys were doing and, I, and knew we could do it too and then I'd had a couple years at that point of experience with our raw materials knew what they were like organoleptically knew what they were like analytically and we're like why aren't we doing this I mean this stuff is just meant to be you know especially too because of what that does I mean you skin ferment a white grape and the pH goes through the roof and you know so having things with great natural acidities and low pHs and having the science and analytics there that would work then with what we wanted in terms of aromatic and flavor and uh, structure. It was just a no-brainer. So we dove right in, yeah, in 04. Um, Meditations pretty much remained the same. Envelope has had more of a, a journey. Started out the first couple of vintages just Chardonnay. Then we're looking for more aromatics and added giverts, then needed acid and 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 and, you know linearity because those are both kind of broad higher ph lower acid varieties and that's when we added the the malvasia that we have in our malvasia or malvasia or however people would depending on where they come from want to say it um tends to come in with really high acid and so not only does it have this beautiful kind of Tropical and floral quality to it, but it had you know nine ten grams of acid, which just was perfect for blending into the few you know b- vats of skin fermented stuff um, and co fermenting them together with the Chardonnay and that's how it stayed for many years since.
2: Yeah, now I I love to drink rosé all year round, um, but at least we notice in the restaurants that that when it gets warmer out, our our rosé sales kind of skyrocket. Um, and you are I I kind of think of you as and uh, a specialist and an expert in uh in rose I think your roses are absolutely beautiful, and uh, my only issue with them is sometimes I have a hard time keeping track of all of them um,
3: because you you make quite a few yeah we've gone a little we've we've gone a little crazy, <laughs> but we like that we love rose i mean rose is awesome i mean who i mean it's just great for so I me mean, seafood to steak wine, so much potential at the table, so much potential from you know Red checker cloth, backyard picnic tables to white tablecloth, you know, laul knife, you know, fancy four-star dining. I mean, it's just the potential, especially within dry rosés. Is is huge. So yeah, we are making, you know, uh since two thousand five was the beginning of our Tre Rosati and it started out as three roses and now it's multi rosati and we make anywhere between five and eight roses a year. Um and they're usually varietal specific, though now we have Sculpture Garden, which is a, a field blend of mm-hmm. Merlot Teraldigo and Blau Frankish, usually varietal specific and unusually vineyard designated. Um and it's just something again that we can do so well um as well as you know Know, the much heralded Provence and the wines that come out of there. And in, and, and in some senses, I think because we're a little bit more moderate and, and we have even more, I mean, our grapes are, I think, more in tune sometimes and the acids are just beautiful. There's not much we have to do except work hard in the vineyard and grow, you know, ripe healthy, beautiful grapes. And then our rosés are made like white wines. so hand-harvested, whole cluster pressed. The color just comes from the time in the press, fermented in stainless steel, generally no malolactic, um, and just bright, beautiful wines that show the terroir, the difference between varieties and the terroir difference between sites as well. Um, so yeah, we'll have Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc, um, and then we have Rafosco. Uh, we have Lagrange, some vintages, Petit Verdot, some vintages, Syrah, Franconia, which is the Friulian or Italian name for Blaufränkisch. Yeah, my, my favorite
2: is generally the Rufosco. I, I, love, uh, I, I like quite a few of them, but generally it's the Rufosco. I think Lara at Le Piccio, I believe her favorite is usually the Franconia.
3: They're yeah. just, they're fun. And that's what they're I love, really- too, is that people, you know, either have a favorite or like them all. We've had people or restaurants take all six or eight and pour a different one oh, each week. We've had people that just say, oh, this is the only one. People that say, this one's the best, and this other one's horrible, and this one, you know, it's just classic to me, too, because they all have a place and they all have, like, everything, you know? Right, but They'd-
2: wouldn't it be so much easier to just make, you know, you make... Two hundred cases of each of them, three hundred cases. It wouldn't be
3: nearly as much fun. It would be easier. It but, seems you know. like so much work to. Well, you know, it's, I stuff. think it's important too, and it's important for us to show what. What we can, well, you know, also to me, each one of these wines has a reason for being. And when somebody says, oh, what's your, what wine do you want? Or which rosé is your favorite? Well, it's, to me, is, what are you eating? Who are you eating it with? Where are you? Then I could say, oh, this is the wine or two that you should pick from. And that's what's so cool about being able to make 30 different wines. And once one of those wines ceases to have that unique personality or reason for being or seems like it's very close to something else, we won't do that anymore. They each have to have that unique expression that unique you know reason
2: yeah and okay so i'm i'm holding here a couple bottles of your vervino vermouth uh this is something i i have not tried i thought I thought I might have tasted all of your stuff. I've been been out to the winery and uh, and and uh, as you know, I'm, I'm a big fan. But this this is new to me. Tell me tell me about
3: uh, about this project, Vervino Vermouth. It's been a long time coming. Again, I mean, it probably has its seeds back to about '04 when we started making skin fermented whites. Because again, when you look back in history, this is how wine was made. Whenever we have another um, you know find an archaeological dig that m- digs up some pottery and they analyze it and find tartaric acid and make the claim that now we found you know a wine vessel then they look a little bit further and they also find basil or rosemary or wormwood or genshin or chamomile or whatever it may be and you know vermouth goes back you know to italy in the in the late 1700s but fortified aromatized wines go back to the beginning you know go back to the Caucasus, go back to the fertile crescent go back to um, you know china and everything we found over time. And so again, it was like, well, why aren't we doing this? This is how people made wine. They put other herbs, botanicals, flowers into the wines for preservative reasons, for aromatic and flavor reasons, for religious reasons, for philosophical reasons, for medicinal reasons. All sorts of things. And then started to research it, think about it, tinker. And it was just a long time in coming. It's more complicated to do. Um, There was more to learn, figured out what we wanted to do. The regulations of it are completely different. And then also it was like, well, do we want to take that spice route market? Do we want to include things from all over the world? And, you know, like it was, must have been, you know, when it – in the late 1700s when all sorts of things were coming around the world. And we're like, no, let's go back even further and make the type of product that would have been what everybody was making when they were making wine and and do something that was local and seasonal. And so all the uh, botanicals are from our farm, uh, our our gardens at home, or a few farms, Merrilee Foster, Dave Falkowski, just a couple of miles away from the winery. And we did a spring version a white and a red early summer version and a white and a red late summer version. So you can take a walk through the seasons. And it's another way for us to tell our story of the east end of Long Island, um, not only through wine, but through other ar- aromatic and edible plants. Well, when
2: you describe cool. it like that, I don't want to add ice and an orange to it. I just. Want oh, but to- you got <laughs> it. I
3: mean, I think that's what's so cool. I mean, and, and what I'm really loving about the Vervino is that we're having people, wine directors and sommeliers, and people embrace it on their own, as vermouth has been and fortified aromatized aperitif wines have been forever and drinking it by themselves chilled or putting it in a long tasting menu as an as an accompaniment to a course by itself just chilled then you have people you know putting putting it on the rocks or adding a twist or a spritz or and that's great and then with with everything that's happening in mixology again it's just too much f- Fun not to mix them with what's happening in gin and rum and whiskey and and the cocktails. They have such personality. These are not. They are definitely more in an American tradition than the Mm -hmm. European tradition. And I would love to just call them vervino and you know. But because of regulations and how things are classified, it's you almost you almost have to. And and it's fine because you do use them like vermouth and they just have so much personality in terms of aroma and flavor. They're not. Bit players, shall we say? Yeah. Well, I
2: will be uh, opening them up tonight and tweeting about them. Uh, absolutely, I'm, I'm. I'm stoked. That is that is the coolest. Uh, it's awesome, I'm and, so excited. and you
3: know, it's a huge history. And there's you know a couple other producers in New York that are doing fantastic things. Um, and you know, a dozen other producers in the country, and more and more you hear about it every day. There's more and more articles, and it goes. I mean, look in a hundred. You know, at the turn of this in you know the early 1900s. 200-plus wineries in the United States were making vermouth. In, in New York City, there were vermouth all over the place. It was huge. It was absolutely – so it's great to be um – it, it's just it's I don't see why people wouldn't be doing it. It's just a really great, cool thing to do. Vermutheria. I like that. Right, I like that.
2: All right, uh, we we have to uh, wrap up, but before we go, I just want to give uh, our listeners a, a few tips if they want to come visit you or, or go out and, and visit uh, wineries on the uh, on Long Island. It is it is closer than than you think. Oh, uh, look,
3: I drove in this morning. I, you know, nine ninety to one hundred and twenty minutes. You know, it's basically a couple couple hours away, we, just ninety miles out on the east end you can come visit us we're open year round seven days a week we have a tasting room that's open from 11 to 5 you can come in and visit and taste through a flight of wines and um, purchase wines and most wineries on the east end have tasting rooms that you can visit as well and you can check out our website um www.channingdaughters.com you can follow you know like us on facebook you can follow you know us on twitter at cdw wine is our handle um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to find us. Our wines are all over the city, too. That's something we're very proud of, and uh, both uh, restaurants and, and great retail shops. And um, we're happy to talk you. Buy the glass you. at
2: one of my favorite restaurants, Gramercy Tavern.
3: Well, we, we, we're very proud of that. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a good thing.
2: And you're still doing the mailing list?
3: Yeah, our wine club is absolutely oh, huge, and if you really do love us, it's one of the great ways to get wines that seem only to go to our wine club and a few restaurants because we just don't make that much of them. It might be yeah. fifty or one hundred and fifty cases, and so yeah. we're you know twelve hundred plus people strong that we ship wine to every other month, and that's that's huge for us.
2: And ho- who knows? Sign up for the wine club, and maybe one day you too will become a winemaker. Like Chris. maybe it's true. You <laughs> all never right, know. Th- thanks, Chris, so much for for Joe, coming It's here. a pleasure. it it's my pleasure, uh, and thanks to all of you for listening this has been in the drink on heritageradionetwork.org
1: thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org you can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the itunes store by searching heritage radio network you can like us on facebook and follow us on twitter at heritage underscore radio